Well, good morning, Watermark. How are we doing today? Hey, it's, uh, it's good to see you. My name is Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. If this is your first time at Watermark, welcome. I'm so glad that you made it. Uh, this past Wednesday, March 8th, was International Women's Day, which was a very big day. It was a big day uh, all over the world. I mean, social media picked it up. News outlets were covering it. And women all over the world and countries all over the world gathered together to champion equality for women. So you can imagine how excited I was when I opened up my Bible to 1 Peter 3, the text that I'm teaching today, and realized that I, got to, I get to teach these words. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of your by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Those are the words that I read. So let's just mark the calendar. March 12, 2023 is when Timothy Atik got canceled and no one ever heard from him ever again. Some of y'all are like, why did I invite my friend today? Like of all days. This was the day I chose to actually reach out and invite someone to church. Here's the deal. I'm actually really excited about teaching this text today for a few reasons. Number one, this text actually doesn't say a thing about inequality. It actually has something to say about the equality of men and women, and it's very positive. Uh, Number two... If you're not a believer or you're just visiting Watermark, today is going to give you an opportunity to see how we do things here. That we, we do not leapfrog over tough texts just because we sniff any discomfort. Like we want to hit hard truth head on. And number three, this is a passage about marriage. And it is my hope that the marriages of Watermark Community Church would be marriages that are flourishing. So if you walked into this place and if you were honest with you and your marriage, if you would say that your marriage is not what you hoped it would be at this point, perfect. Because this passage has the key to a better marriage. And if you're not married but you hope to be one day, this will help prepare you to be in a healthy marriage. And if you're not married and you have no plans to get married, this passage will just help you be a better follower of Jesus Christ. So 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to bring a Bible every week. Read along with us. We will wear it out, I promise you. Here's what I want to do with a passage like this. I want to kind of uh, divide the message today into two sections, okay? But the first section is I want to answer the question, what was happening then? It's a contextual question. I want us to look and understand why Peter actually wrote the words he did, what was happening, 
in first century Asia Minor at the time. The second question that I want to answer is this, what matters now? That's more of a theological and practical question. How does it inform what we believe and how does it inform what we do? So let's start with answering the question, what was happening then? Because if we're not careful, our tendency will be to see all of scripture through a 2023 Dallas, Texas lens. And so if we're gonna see this passage through that lens, then our only conclusion can be that this text is oppressive to women and men and women are unequal in value and dignity. But the passage is actually saying the opposite. So it's very important for you to understand what was happening. Peter is writing to a group of of primarily Gentile believers who are experiencing persecution for their faith in Asia Minor. And what we see happening in the church is, is that some women are putting their trust in Christ and they are in pagan marriages. So they have trusted Christ, but their husband hasn't. And so these women in marriages are beginning to ask the question, well, should I get out of my marriage? Now that I'm a Christian, my husband is not a Christian, should I get out of my marriage? And it's a very interesting place to be because at least in in this society, in a Greco-Roman society, it was expected that a wife would have no friends of her own and would carry the religion of her husband. So the fact that there are women who are putting their trust in Jesus in that society is an act of rebellion against the husband. And if the public were to find out that a husband's wife had trusted in another God, it could actually be costly to the husband. It could cause serious damage to his social standing, even to the point of disqualifying him from certain honors and offices. And so the reason Peter is writing this passage is to offer the Christian wife a strategy that would enable her to avoid violence, disarm the opposition of her unbelieving husband and actually even lead her husband to Christ. So with that context in mind, just watch Peter's flow of thought. What does he say in verse one? He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, meaning they don't believe in Jesus, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, or they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So some Christian wives might be asking the question, well, should I get out of my marriage because I'm a Christian? What Peter is saying is, no, absolutely not. Stay in and keep doing what you should be doing. You live in a society where the husband is the head of the household, so submit to him, respect him, keep respecting him because you need to understand you just threw his world into chaos when you trusted in a God that was different than his God. And so as you live with your husband, continue to honor him and respect him and don't be surprised that that it's not moving the needle when you get in his ear and you start telling him that he should believe in Jesus. Don't be surprised that he's not just jumping on board immediately. You need to understand that most likely you're gonna win your husband to Christ through his eyes, not his ears. And so let him see Christ through consistent, faithful living. 
And then he goes on in verses 3 and 4. He says, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. What Peter is saying is, look, you're, you're trying to win your husband to Christ, so you have to be careful that you don't cause confusion. Because if you become preoccupied with your external appearance, like you, you buy into the extravagant hairdos of the day, which required professional help and caused extensive time, and you spend all your time thinking about your, your bracelets and your anklets and your earrings and your necklaces, which were common in the day, you know what you're going to do? You are going to, you're going to be preoccupied with the same things that unbelieving Roman women are preoccupied with but you're trying to show your husband Christ. What's the best way to show your husband Christ? It's by letting Christ captivate your heart because when Christ captivates your heart, you're gonna be transformed from the inside out. And as you surrender more fully to Jesus, you will show Jesus more fully and you will provide clarity to your husband that Jesus Christ is worth it and transforms lives. And then he goes on and he says in verses five and six, he says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So he's saying, don't look to the role models of the Greeks. Look to the role models from your own new faith. Abraham's the 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 father of the faith looked to his wife, Sarah. Now, Abraham's a famous figure in Christianity, but it was hard to be married to Abraham. Like one day he just walked in, it was like, hey, Sarah, we're actually moving to a new country. We've never been there. Leave your stuff. It's going to be awesome. Another time he walked in, it was like, I think God wants me to kill our only kid. That's tough. It caused, it, it required faith, it required trust. And so Peter's point is just, he's just saying, look, uh, your marriage might be challenging as you seek to, to live a faithful life with a husband who doesn't know the Lord. But look to examples like Sarah, who even in the midst of difficulty, what did she do? She hoped in God. Her she might have had a husband that was unpredictable at times, but her God was predictable. He was faithful. He was trustworthy. She knew that he would, come, he would come through. So that's why Peter's writing this passage. That's the point. That's what's happening. It's good to realize that a passage that might seem oppressive to women in 2023 was actually empowering to its original readers because women were rebelling against societal norms. And Peter isn't saying stop that, he's actually saying keep rebelling. But rebel respectfully and let me help you rebel in such a way that you're actually gonna win your husband to the faith. So that's what was happening then. So now let's answer the question, what matters now? It's a theological and practical question. So I think in this passage, we find the key to a better marriage. So if you want a better marriage, here's, here's the one thing that you need, okay? 
Here's the one thing you need to do if you want a better marriage, and this is what we see in this passage. Show Jesus in your marriage. That's it. If you want a better marriage, and this is what this passage is encouraging us toward, show Jesus in your marriage. My favorite definition of discipleship, following Jesus, is by Dallas Willard. He says discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. So if you want a better marriage, then become the husband Jesus would be if he were you. Become the wife that Jesus would be if he were you. Answer this question. Let me just encourage you to, to, to tune in and take 10 seconds in the quietness of your own heart and just answer this question. What is one thing Jesus would do differently in your marriage if he were you? What's one thing he would change? If he were you, if something comes to mind, do it. But the key to a better marriage is showing Jesus in your marriage. And what the text is going to do is the text gives us actually three ways to show Jesus in our marriage. The first way to show Jesus in your marriage is by fulfilling your God-given role. Okay? Fulfilling your God-given role. So Peter says in chapter 3, verse 1, He says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, this is where we have to navigate some rough waters. Okay, what does it mean when Peter calls wives to to be subject or to submit to their husbands? We naturally carry a negative connotation with the idea of women submitting to men because we think that it implies inequality. But what I need you to understand is when Peter calls women to submit to their husbands, what he's doing is he's saying the way or one of the ways that you will show Jesus in your marriage is by submitting to your husband. To submit to your husband is to recognize, welcome, and respond to his leadership in your marriage. So you might sit there and say, how does submitting to my husband show Jesus in my marriage? How could it possibly show Jesus in my marriage to submit to my husband? To welcome and respond to and recognize his leadership? Well... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 is key because Paul says this. He says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So I want you to see what, what Paul says there because he says that the head of a wife is her husband, but then look at what he says. He says the head of Christ is God. So in this verse, Christ is actually in the position of the wife. As the wife has a head, which is the husband, Christ has a head, which is God the Father. And so what Paul is speaking to is the role of the Trinity in God's plan of salvation. God the Father was the one who envisioned the plan of salvation. God the Son, Jesus, was the one who submitted to the Father's plan and executed the plan of salvation, and the Holy Spirit is the one who now appropriates God's plan of salvation to our lives. See, Jesus Christ was submitting to God the Father. He was recognizing, welcoming, and responding to God the Father's leadership. So 
On the night that Jesus is betrayed, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what does he pray? He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then we see Jesus' attitude as he submits to the Father. What is his attitude? It's one of joy. Hebrews 12 tells us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So God the Father's plan was to crush the Son. The Son knew that that was the Father's plan, and what did he do? He welcomed it. He responded to it. He submitted himself to the Father. When he went to the cross and he hung on that cross, what were his final words? It is finished. What was finished? Accomplishing the Father's plan of salvation. He was put in a tomb. On the third day, he walked out of it victoriously. Why? To make a way through faith for us to be reconciled to God. So wives, what you need to understand, when Peter calls you to submit to your husbands, you know what he's calling you to do? He's calling you to show Jesus in your marriage through submission. He is not calling you to do anything that Jesus Christ hasn't already done. Now this, is, this should be obvious, but it is worth stating. Was Jesus Christ the Son inferior to God the Father? Never. The Trinity is the doctrine which states that there were three co-equal, co-eternal persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son were always equal, and yet they had distinct roles. And Jesus' role was to submit to the will of the Father. The same is true in marriage in the sense that husbands and wives are completely equal in value and dignity. But husbands and wives have been given different roles and responsibilities. And so what Peter is saying is, wives, your responsibility is to show, show Jesus through submitting to your husband. So the question is, well, what does it even look like? What does it look like for a wife to practically submit to her husband. Well, the only way for me to really unpack that in a helpful way is to explain what it looks like for a husband to fulfill his role in marriage, which is to lead. So husbands, if wives are to show Jesus through submitting to your leadership, then your responsibility is to show Jesus in your marriage by leading. Ephesians 5.23 says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So what does it mean for a husband to be a leader of a wife? And just to be clear, it doesn't call women to submit to men. It calls wives to submit to husbands. Not all husbands, your husband. What does it mean for a husband to be a leader in a marriage, here's what it means. Men don't miss it. It is to bear the weight of accountability before God for cultivating a marriage and household that glorifies God. So be the, to be the leader in your home 
is to bear the weight of accountability before God for cultivating a marriage in a household that glorifies God. So men, when you, when you hear that you're called to be a leader, don't think of it in terms of being in charge. Think of it in terms of being accountable to God. Don't think of it in terms of being in charge. Think of it in terms of being accountable to God for cultivating a marriage and household that glorifies him and prioritizes his will. Hearing that you are the leader should not evoke pride. It should most certainly evoke humility because a day will come where you will stand before God and you will answer for how you cultivated your marriage and your home. God cares about how we lead because As we lead, we are to show Christ in our marriages. What does Paul go on and say in Ephesians 5, verse 25? He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. So how did Christ love his bride, the people of God? He gave himself up. He died on a cross. He conquered death through his resurrection. Here's what that means. It means, husbands, make sure you don't major in Ephesians 5.23 in minor in Ephesians 5.25. Don't major in the husbands or heads of the wife, but minor in love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. No, our leadership in marriage should be marked by selflessness, sacrifice, safety, and service. Men, you need to know, no wife complains about having to follow a husband who is selfless, sacrificial, safe to be around, and service-oriented. No one complains about that. It's only when men assume the position of leader, but they don't show Christ as they lead. And so... What does it look like practically for a husband to lead in his marriage? And what does it practically look like for a wife to follow his lead? Well, the good news is that Peter gives us that instruction in the same chapter. We haven't read this verse yet, but verse 7 is key. Okay, what's interesting is that Peter devotes six verses to talking to the wife and only one verse to talking to the husband. It's because we can't handle more than one verse. He knows us. He gets us, but he packs such a punch. One verse is all we need. So look with me at verse seven. Peter says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, yikes, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered, okay? Godly leaders, godly husbands cultivate four things in their marriage. Write these things down, men. They won't be on the screen. Say it. Godly husbands, godly leaders cultivate intimacy, obedience, safety, and honor. First, godly men, godly husbands cultivate Intimacy. Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way. That phrase, live with your wives, it's the idea of 
of fostering intimate, close relationship. It, it's, it's physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual intimacy. So husbands, it's our responsibility to take the lead on initiating closeness with our wives. So husbands, initiate date nights. Initiate quality conversations in the evenings with your spouse. Initiate times of prayer. Initiate physical intimacy. This is what we are responsible to do. We will stand before God. We will give an account for how we prioritized intimacy with our spouses. Now, is it wrong for a wife to initiate these things as well? Not at all. There's no problem with a wife wanting deep conversation in the evening time. There's, There's nothing wrong with a wife suggesting a date night. Those are all good things. What I'm saying is husbands, we are the ones who should bear the weight and the responsibility of ensuring that it is happening. Be be intentional. And wives, when, you're, when your husband tries to initiate on these things, the, the best way to follow is to just lean in with him on it. If he, if he says, let's go on a date night, don't tell him you're too tired. Like, make it happen. And there are, please don't hear me wrong, like, if, if, if you, the best blessing to you is just a night sleeping, great, do that. My point, though, is that as your husband initiates, what you want to do is you just want to breathe life into that leadership. And so for us, what, what Kat and I, we, we're trying to get into a rhythm of weekly dates. So when I'm speaking on a Sunday, we try and go to breakfast on Monday mornings. When I'm not speaking on a Sunday, we try and go on a date on Saturday nights. And so uh, Kat is very helpful with this. Like she might say, hey, do I need to get a babysitter for our date night? Or there have been times where when we've been trying to get in the Monday morning routine where she's already had plans and she's canceled those plans to prioritize that intimacy and that connection with one another. But as we go on dates, here's what you need to know about me. I might have shared this a few weeks ago. I can't remember if I did or not. But uh, my greatest fear is awkward silence. Like as a the great fear of mine. So this is why I don't like to ride in cars with other people. Like I'd just rather would meet you there because I'm like, what I don't what are we gonna talk about? Like I don't want to ride with you to lunch because we might use up all the conversation before we get to lunch. <laughs> and so true story, but uh <laughs> I'll meet you there. Um Kat and I have this joke where like we'll be getting ready for our date and we'll start talking about something and Kat will be like, should I save it? <laughs> like she knows me. She knows I'm starting to get panicky like, oh my gosh, we might be using up the good conversation. <laughs> but I know that about myself. So you know what I've done? Like I've gotten online, I've Googled date night questions. I have bought cards, conversation cards. So if you ever see Kat and I out on a date and it looks like I'm looking under the table, I'm not checking my phone. I am rifling through this pile of questions that I have because I want to make the most of the time. I want it to be intentional. And you can laugh at the cards, but you know what? They're helpful. (laughs) Because we're having really um, intentional conversations about what are your dreams or what's a fun memory from the past or, or what's something different you want to do and it gives us a chance to sync up. 
But my responsibility as a husband is to live with my wife in an understanding way, which means that understanding way, it means that I am responsible for understanding Kat. I need to understand what are her dreams, what are her desires, what are her strengths, what are her weaknesses, what's frustrating her, what's causing her anxiety, what causes her to flourish. And so my responsibility is to initiate it in wives. As your husbands initiate, it's going to feel clunky at times and it's going to feel, you know, awkward in moments. But just to the best of your ability, with a lot of grace, the best thing you can do is just lean in with him. Peter goes on and what does he say? He encourages the husbands to cultivate obedience. Now, when I say cultivate obedience, Men, I'm not talking about cultivating your wife's obedience to you. I'm talking about you, husband, cultivating y'all's obedience to God. Because when Peter says live with your wife in an understanding way, that phrase understanding way, it literally means according to knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, of your spouse, yes, but primarily of God's will. That your responsibility as the leader and as the husband is to create an environment in your household that is according to the knowledge of God's will. So that means, husbands, it is your responsibility to treasure God's word. It's to seek understanding about God's will for your marriage and to seek understanding of God's will for parenting your kids in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. It's to seek out understanding of God's will regarding money. And so what this means, men, is that we should prioritize seeking out older couples for wise counsel and reading books and then starting conversations with our wives to get on the same page about how God's will will be sought out in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our money, and on and on and on. Kat and I's greatest conflict is always around not being synced up. It's just around not being synced up of how we want to navigate the complexities, especially of parenthood. And so as I was thinking about it, what I was reminded of is this week, uh, my three boys, I've got three boys, 13, 11, and 5, they decided to make a movie together. Like, they wanted to make a video together. And I was in my bedroom working and I could hear my son who was the director of the film getting frustrated with his other brothers. So I came out and here's what I told him. I said, hey dude, they can't see what you see. Like what you want to happen, it's all been envisioned in his mind, but he hasn't communicated what he's envisioned. And so his brothers aren't meeting his expectations because they don't know what his expectations are. And as I just thought about marriage, like that is the way it goes. So often, you know where conflict arises? It's when there's a lack of clarity from the director. Husbands, like if you're going to play the role of director, which I think is given to you by God, what you have to do is you need to make sure that your, your wife even knows what script you're working off of. And what you need to do, husbands, is you need to make sure that the, the story that 
you're wanting to be, her to be a part of is even a story worth being a part of. Like, where is this film of your parenting or your marriage going to land? And you know what good directors do? Good directors make sure that, that the actors and actresses are able to use their personalities for the, to the fullest to flourish. And so what I'm saying is, husbands, our wives will miss 100% of the time, will not meet expectations that are not communicated. And in the reality, isn't, it's not about expe expectations. It's about communication. Leading in marriage is not about you sitting with your wife and saying, this is where we're going. I just need you to know, here's the script, act your part. Marriage is about saying, you know what, as I've been seeking the Lord, here's, here's the script that I think he's calling us towards as we parent, as we pursue one another in marriage. How does that feel to you? Please speak into it. Use your personality. Use your gifting. What are your dreams? What are your desires? And let's work together to make this story the best one possible. And so what you want to do is you want to cultivate obedience to God. What you both want to do is you want to seek God in his word to see what his will is for every aspect of your marriage. But husbands, it's your responsibility to make sure to put y'all on the same page. And then you want to cultivate safety. Did you see that awkward part of the verse where Peter said, He said, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now you need to know commentators across the board, across the board, say that Peter is referring solely to physical strength. This has nothing to do with emotional capacity or intelligence. This has nothing to do with anything other than physical strength. Peter's point is, in general, God has wired men to be physically stronger than women. That isn't always true at times. Like, I've been in the gym and looked right and left, and there have been women <laughs> with just as much weight on the bars. Like, these pythons kind of don't stand up to what is to my right or to my left. But in general, I love how Chuck Swindoll explained it. He said, if you took 10 average men and 10 average women, and they were to have a tug of war... Usually, the 10 average men are going to win in physical strength. So what is Peter's point when he says, live with your wife in an understanding way, knowing that she's showing honor, knowing that she's the weaker vessel? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, do not ever use your physical strength to bully your wife into submission. If you ever use your strength or your stature to intimidate your wife into submission, you will give account to God for it one day. God has given you that strength to protect your wife. And so your responsibility is to create a home where your wife feels safe. Physically safe, yes, but also emotionally safe. Like your wife should feel safe coming to you and having conversations about the future or about how you discipline your kids or about how the money is being spent. You want to create an environment where your wife feels valued and seen and like she has a voice, that it's safe. And then husbands, it's our responsibility to create and cultivate a home with honor. One of the best things you can show your sons if you have sons 
or your daughters. He says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Watch this. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Do you remember how I said at the beginning this passage actually speaks to equality? Not inequality. It's because Peter refers to wives as co-heirs of the grace of God. Here's what that means. It means We are brothers and sisters in the same salvation that husbands receive is the same salvation that wives receive. The same death of Jesus on the cross for sin that counts for husbands counts for wives. It's the same sacrifice. It's the same grace. It's the same inheritance. We are all headed toward the same destiny. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a husband section and a wife section, and the husband section is closer to the front than the wives. No, we will all be together as brothers and sisters, co-equal heirs, enjoying the grace of God. And so one of the best things you can do is honor your wife as as someone who has sisterly status in the kingdom of God and is destined for the same eternity. And husbands, I want to make sure you see how Peter ended that verse because look at what he says. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you know what that's saying? Don't don't miss it. Peter is saying, men, don't expect God to act like everything is good when you are selfish, self-centered, arrogant, domineering, and controlling in your marriage. Don't expect for God to act like everything is good when you do things your way instead of God's way, when you're more in tune with your own wants than your wife's needs. See, husbands, our job as leaders is to make it easy for our wives to follow. Again, no wife complains about following a husband who is regularly surrendering to Christ, dying to self, and selflessly, sacrificially serving and leading his wife. And wives, what does it look like to follow? Well, when your husband cultivates intimacy and obedience to God's will and safety and honor, best thing you can do is just lean in with him on it. And there's going to be times where you aren't thrilled with how he's directing the scene, but you can look at the overall story and the plot of your story is all pointed towards Christ. And so it's okay to not sweat the small stuff. Because in marriage, we're going to have to extend a, lot, extend a lot of grace to one another. It's going to be clunky sometimes. Leading is going to be clunky. Sometimes wives' insecurity is going to creep in for us. And then there's going to be times where you don't love what's, what's happening, but you can look at the bigger story and just say, yeah, this is, in the end, this is headed towards Jesus. You want to show Jesus in your marriage, then the first thing is fulfill Fulfill your God-given roles. And then there's two other things that are a lot shorter than the first point. So if you're like doing the math and you're like, wow, okay, this is going to be a long message. No, the last two, just real quick. You want to show Jesus in your marriage? Then cultivate your character. Cultivate your character. Did you see what Peter says? Verses 3 and 4, he says, don't let your adorning be external. 
the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Remember, Peter's point is, um, let your greatest attention be given to your heart in cultivating the beauty of your heart. Don't become preoccupied with what is external. Be preoccupied what is internal because the end goal is for your life to show Christ. Yesterday, my family, we went to the Fort Worth Zoo and at one point, Kat was like, hey, let me take a picture. So uh, get together with the boys. And so I got together with the boys. She snapped the pic and then we did the thing where she showed me the picture. And when she showed me the picture, I honestly, I was horrified at what I saw. Like my literal words to her was, it looked like someone put that picture through like some aging software. Like this is what you will look like in 30 years. Like there was, I looked weathered and worn and there were wrinkles and like my shirt was being pulled by my kids in the worst of ways. And I just looked at that and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was like, is that what you see? Like, is that, is that me? Because no one wants to realize that they're getting older. No one wants to look in the mirror and be like, oh, my best years are behind me. Like, no one wants that. And so that is why, if you look in our culture, there's a fixation on anti-aging. There is, I was Google searching, I found a list of 20 anti-aging cosmetics. There's 20 different things. There's more than that. Because in our culture, the value is youth. We all wanna, we wanna look young. But here's the thing. That's fine if you want to look young externally, but internally you want to look old. You want to look mature. You want to look as if you have aged internally. The the greatest catastrophe would be that you look young on the exterior, all put together, but on the inside you still look youthful, full of pride, full of lust, full of insecurity full of impulsivity, full of moodiness. You're difficult to be around. People never know what they're going to get from you. You're flaky. It's youth. Peter is saying, no, focus on the inside. Be transformed from the the inside out. What does it look like then to cultivate a Christ-like character? Well, fight for daily uninterrupted time with God. A friend of mine used to say, "If, if I miss time with God one day, I know about it. If I miss time with God two days in a row, my spouse knows about it. If I miss time with God three days in a row, the whole world knows about it. Fight for daily uninterrupted time with God where you sit with his word, you submit yourself to it, and you allow God to speak to you and transform you. Live in community. Get into a community group. Be honest, accountable. Be known so that men or women can help spot the blemishes in your character. Go to Regen on Monday nights to deal with the junk that just isn't getting any better. Husbands, one of the best ways you can lead in your marriage is this. Cultivate a home where imperishable beauty is valued. Like what do you need to do, husband, to make sure that your wife gets undistracted time with the Lord? or to get away with other women in her community group, or to attend a women's conference like If Gathering. What can you do to make that possible? 
I remember in college, Greg Mott, when he was talking about dating, he used to say, become the person you want to date. I just want to pull that into marriage and say, become the person you want to be married to. If you want to be married to a godly woman, make sure you're a godly man. You want to be married to a godly man, then make sure you're a godly woman. Cultivate your character. And then finally, if you want to show Jesus in your marriage, then hope, hope in God. Hope in God. Remember, Peter is saying, hey, look to Sarah, Abraham's wife. Even when marriage was tough or unpredictable, you know where her hope was? Her hope was in God. The reality is some of y'all would say that you're in a tough place in your marriage right now. And if I were to pass around a microphone and I were to just say, hey, what, what needs to change in your marriage for it to be healthy? I just wonder how many people would start their sentence Well, if he would just, you know what, if she would just, you know what, your hope is not in your spouse changing. Your hope is in God sustaining. Sustaining you in changing you. Hope in the Lord, even in the toughest of days. Hope, hope in the Lord. I'll close by saying this. Back in 2019, my wife and I, we were going through a tough time in our marriage. It was an extended season where marriage was just tougher than we wanted it to be. And so we always said we would go to counseling if we needed to. So we went to marriage counseling. It ended up being very helpful. But as we were in a season of just dealing with a tougher marriage, we were seeking out wise counsel from other people. People knew what was, what was going on and how we were troubleshooting it. And somewhere along the way, someone gave us the challenge to sit down on the ground and to touch knees with one another and to look into each other's eyes for 10 minutes without talking. Yeah. So we were like, we're not going to do that. Like we, I'm an awkward person. Hopefully that's already become clear in my comments earlier and Kat and I, we tend to laugh a lot in our marriage. So it's like, there's no way we'll be able to keep a straight face. But we're like, okay, let's do it. So we sit down on the ground, we touch knees, we begin to look into each other's eyes and we're just giggling. Like, it's tough to just stare at a person without talking. For the first minute, two minutes, three minutes, we're giggling, we're fighting, not losing eye contact. But then something happened the longer that we sat. And we got into minute five, six, and then seven and eight, and we both just have tears coming up, coming down our faces. And what it was, was we both finally began to see one another again. And I tell you that because for some of you, the key is just beginning to see your spouse for who they are again. And my hope is that this morning is in some way just the beginning of you touching knees and beginning to look and say, hey, husbands, see your wives clearly for, see your wife clearly for who she is. She's an heir with you. She's the recipient of the same grace. And she has been called by God to show Jesus through following. That's a huge responsibility. That's a tough responsibility. See her for who she is. Breathe life into her and do everything in your power to help her flourish in the role God has given you given to her. Wives, see your husband, see him for who he is, that he's your, he's an heir of the same grace. 
And he's been given a huge responsibility to lead in marriage. So see the responsibility God has given him. God will hold him accountable, breathe life into him, support him, encourage him along the way, begin to see one another. And finally, I'll just say, maybe you're not ready to show Jesus because you have never seen Jesus personally. That's where it starts, is by you realizing that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose from the dead, so that you could be given, forgiven of all of your sins and made right with God, so that you can be made right with one another. If you don't know him, would you come to him today? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray for the marriages in this room. I just pray for hope. As I would imagine that there are some people who feel hopeless, that they have divorce papers in their possession. They have plans this week to sign them. Lord, I just thank you that hope is not lost and that there are better days ahead. It's, it's possible because of you, Lord Jesus. Can't be done in our own strength, but by the power of your spirit, Lord Jesus, you have given us, number one, the example of how we are to love one another, but not just that, you've given us your spirit who gives us the power to actually show you in our marriages. So I pray that this would be a place full of people who walk out of here and imperfectly begin to show you Jesus in marriage. And I pray that you'd be glorified all over the Metroplex this week as we seek to more faithfully love one another as you, Christ, have loved us. We need you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.